Dr. Erica Brown is with us, director of the um, Mayberg Center for Jewish Education and Leadership and associate professor of curriculum at the George Washington University, author of 12 books on leadership, the Hebrew Bible, and spirituality. The one that I want to concentrate on this morning is the one that um, is most associated with the high holidays, and that is the book of uh, Jonah, uh, Eric, Dr. Erica Brown in the uh, Magid Studies in Tanakh series. Uh, so you can check it out at Magid Books online and on her website, ericabrown.com. Uh, the book is called Jonah, the Reluctant Prophet. Dr. Erica Brown, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to hear your voice on this morning. I appreciate that. Good to have you on. Uh, I find it intriguing that on the day that most people associate with the most personal day between man and God, uh, the day that we as individuals are closest with the one above, Yom Kippur, obviously. It's interesting that on that day, we are, we are taught this lesson through the book of Yonah that we cannot shirk our responsibility to the greater community. What's the message behind that? You know, I, I mean, I think, as, as you rightly pointed out, Nathan, there's a sense that the, the self-absorption or even the commitment to create communities of chesed, compassion, kindness, amongst our family and our smaller community can't in some way blind us to the responsibility to the world at large, to those who uh, have fallen and lost their way. And perhaps Jonah thought that his the notion of prophecy was very particularistic as opposed to universalistic, and that the responsibility of leaders is to, of course, reform their own communities, but also to care about communities outside of their immediate, the immediate bubble in which we live. I think when you're thinking about Jonah and saying, well, why do we read this book? I mean, it's not, it's not really all that evident that Jonah undergoes a complete reformation. Right. You know, he, he, he prays, he, right. he does not say sorry in his prayer, and, and, that out. And if you want to say he does undergo a reformation, it was under a lot of pressure. <laughs> it, was, it was, right, it was under, right, as Maimani said, kofino to adhir say, you exactly. force someone until they actually want to do something. Right. But of course, tshuva cannot be forced. It can never come from the outside. And I've always struggled uh, as a parent when my children were young and watching parents do this, say to their children, they say you're sorry. So you're, you're asking them, you're telling them to have an emotion that they don't have as opposed to discussing with them what they've done and allowing that to emerge more holistically. And I think in Jonah's case, um, he never fully gets there. If you look when he travels to Ninveh, it says it's a three-day travel, right. and he only goes one day into it. You know, what does that mean when, you're, when you, you want to get there, but you're not quite there? Dr. Erica Brown is with us. But, but what is the greater message for the average person listening to this on Yom Kippur? Again, the day chosen to, to feature uh, the book of Jonah. Are all of us partly responsible for leadership roles in the greater community? There are people who, who forget about whether they think they're qualified. That I'll ask you about in a minute. But there are people who clearly are qualified, and there are others who, you know, who clearly the best thing for them and the community would be for them to simply, you know, um, supervise their own Daladamot, so to speak. Uh, is the message here that all of us have a responsibility to whatever degree we can to be leaders in the community? Um, I think I think there are different notions of leadership. I think it's very attractive today to say that everyone's a leader, but 
for those of us who are really in the trenches of this work and trying to teach others about this work, we know that that's simply not true and that there is nobility in simply being a good person, in leading one's family, um, in leading in taking a leading role in one's work. Uh, but I want to get back nothing to something that you said earlier in terms sure. of, well, what is the message of this book? And I was uh, studying it on Monday night, and one of my beloved students shared with me a sign that uh, that he saw in, I, I suppose it was a, some kind of medical facility that, that managed uh, addiction. And the sign was, relapse is not failure. I just want to say that again, relapse is not failure. I think for many of us, as we stand in these days of awe and we, and we introspect about who we are and the world as it is, it's easy to lose hope and to feel things will never change. But relapse is not failure. We try and then we try again. And perhaps there are these slight nuances of change, these changes of perspective. We approach Jonah every year, Nachum, as you know, and we're different people. Right. Things have happened to us this year. We've created things this year. And so... Uh, and that's what I love really about text study the most is that we're bringing a new self to texts that are ancient, and that meld is going to create something new and fresh. You know what's funny? I think most people I I, I shouldn't say most because I <laughs> most people who think like me uh, are are <laughs> are sympathetic to Jonah. We feel bad for him with with what you just said about um, a relapse not being failure. Um, it's not that we should feel bad for him. It's that we should incorporate his experience into our own lives. That that even even though he postponed his success, let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, you know, there's there's hope for all of us. Nonetheless, there's hope to you know to turn things around. Is it right to be yeah. sympathetic for him or not? Um, you know, I think we can't help but be sympathetic because. As John Gardner once said, you know, by mid middle life, most of us are fugitives from ourselves. Mm. We're we're running away. We're trying to escape right. the the obvious mistakes and errors we've made. And so I think we see ourselves in Jonah because we understand the struggle, and because it's such a brilliant thing that we're reading a a, a short memoir, if you like, of right. of, a, of a prophet, no less, who is in that a navi who is in that struggle. Also, I, I'm this, sorry message, sorry, there's just this message in chapter one where the term Yarad, to defend, um, hits us like a drumbeat again and again. You know, Jonah goes down into Jaffa, he goes down into a ship, he goes down into the recesses of the ship, and he goes down into a deep sleep. That's the danger, Nachum, is right. sleeping on the job, is becoming so self-absorbed that things are happening, right? The, the boat is about to break open, and yet he's in a deep sleep. And I understand that sleep, and I'm sure that you can understand mm -hmm. that we're living in a time, a political landscape, where there's so much noise and there's so much polarization. There's the sense, I'm turning off the news, I'm withdrawn, I'm going into myself. And that's where the Rabbi Chovel, the captain of the ship, says, Malachan Yadam, why are you sleeping? It's time to wake up. Oh, I think it's even more than that. I think that, you know, Jonah is doing what we often do, which is, you know, basically s scream out without without verbalizing it uh, to God, leave me alone. Basically saying to God, you know, leave me alone. Let me let me go into my own isolated area and just, you know, and, and avoid whatever it is you want me to pursue. And, and yeah, and the beautiful message is that that in some way, in this paternalistic and loving way, that God says, I will send the entire world, right? All right. of nature. I will send the storm. I will send the fish. I will send the beating sun. I will send the tree. I'll send the worm. All of these things to help you confront yourself. 
but I can't do that work for you. Only you can confront yourself. I can merely put in, put in the possibility. And I think that's what Yom Kippur is for us. It's putting in that, that mirror that says, stop, don't engage in your regular activities. Take a look deep inside. And, um, and some, for some of us, we, we still run away. Yeah, that's for sure. Dr. Erica Brown is with us. The book is called Jonah, The Reluctant Prophet. Um, I think I, I think I once asked you this before, and today, as we watch at least two men, you know, trying to become uh, leaders, or for one of them, continue to be leader of the Jewish people, if in fact we, you know, we'll go with the supposition that in 2019 the leader of the Jewish people is the Prime Minister of Israel, I'm sure some people uh, would certainly agree with that, um, it, it, isn't, there is a theme of reluctance uh, among many potential Jewish leaders. We know, obviously, Moses felt he was unqualified to be a leader, right? He makes that clear. Jonah, obviously, you and I just discussed the story. And I think to a degree, uh, um, and I don't know how much the scholars and the Talmidei Chachamim would agree with me, but I think to a degree, even our Avot, um, you know, each, you know, at times hesitates in their role of leadership, and questions or, you know, act in a way that, uh, that, that, you know, again, whether it's through modesty or, uh, you know, for practical reasons, feels that certain things would be difficult for them to accomplish in a leadership role. Um, and I ask this again as we watch, you know, different people assume that they are the best person for the job and have you know, you know, if you listen to a campaign, you'll find out that everyone's the perfect candidate. No, nobody has any deficiencies. Exactly. So, what about the theme of? And by the way, Esther, aren't you writing about Esther? Uh, yeah. So, the, is, the next in the Magid series that'll be out, hopefully, this Purim. So, isn't that a perfect example of a Jewish leader who questioned her ability to, you know, to 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 do what was required of a leader in that case? Another good example, in my opinion. So, tell me about this thread of. Of the of leaders, especially in Jewish history, who question their abilities to do what what God and their guides, like Mordechai, etc., are demanding. Well, notice, Nachum, in all the examples that you brought, people didn't shirk from leadership, but they embraced the humility and their own smallness in in the face of very serious obstacles, trials, and challenges. When you look at today, you know there's this posture of certainty which seems incredible and impossible to all of us. Right. Yes, I can solve all these problems. There's nothing that I can't do. And immediately we think, I can't believe you. So what I'm looking at is the collapse of trust. I think we trust people when they say, I'm not really sure how to do this. And yet our, the appeal of certainty that someone definitely knows how to do this, even as we know it can't possibly be true, attracts us, and, 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 and we're supporting that degree of, of certainty when really what we should be looking for is someone who takes the position but is humble throughout the position and has the capacity to say, I don't know, I'm not sure, let me learn, um, let me be curious about the world, let me be curious about the other. And so, uh, you know, I think that what we've seen, and I totally agree with you, we, we've seen uh, virtually every one of our classic leaders in Tanakh cares about succession, cares not about holding on necessarily to the reins of power, but making sure someone responsible takes over them. And they do that from a posture of dignity and humility. And it, nothing could be farther than what we see in the classic politician. And on the other side, things that you mentioned earlier about people just perhaps leading their own Dalit Amot, 
we know that uh, people would rather have any leader than a bad leader. And so someone mm-hmm. is going to step into the vacuum of leadership. Right. If it's not us, if it's not someone who has good intentions and, uh, and behaves with virtue, then it's going to be somebody else. And I think that's the problem with leadership today is we've created that vacuum and we've in some way put a certain sting on leadership and taken the nobility out of it. Can you compare Jonah's reluctance to Moses's reluctance? Moses is using oh. a physical excuse, you know, excuse the word. I don't want to, you know, demean him, mm. but you get my, but is that really just a, just a, you know, a cover for, for a, uh, you know, a deeper humility or a deeper hesitation, like more similar, um, I, more similar to Jonah? You know, I, I think all of us should feel unqualified for our jobs because it keeps us honest. Um, on, on some level, I think the difference between Moses and, and Jonah and they've, Moshe and Yonah, and they've often been compared, is that in the case of Moshe, Moshe took these doubts and he spoke to God and he negotiated with God and God provided support. So God says, you know, if speaking is difficult for you, know that I'm giving you a staff and I'm right. giving you your brother as a spokesperson. And I'm also going to give you a speech, which is I'm in control of speech, right? Who gives who gives handicaps and who who dispenses leadership jobs? And I've chosen you. Right. But Jonah's different because while Jonah refuses leadership, he actually runs in the opposite direction, and and that's actually something that I, I think the text pro- provokes us to say: when I have my doubts, am I actually so certain, uh, so to speak, of my doubts that I run away rather than say, how can I how can I present my doubts as some kind of offering? to someone else to think about whether or not those doubts hold true. We don't want people to take jobs and have doubts and not have doubts uh, because then their own, the quality of their work gets compromised. We want them to take jobs and, and take responsibilities and take ownership while maintaining that sense of dignity and humility that allows, uh, that allows for that conversation. It's funny. And there's a great vulnerability in it, right? Yeah. There's vulnerability oh, sure. in being able to say to someone, I don't know, I can't do. I feel bad that I feel so bad for him. In a way, in a way, I shouldn't. I shouldn't feel bad for him because you know he's again shirking the responsibility. And you know anybody who appreciates good leadership would say, you know, get with it, you know, Jonah, and you know, get a stiff upper lip and and to turn things around. But I don't know. I just, does that does that work, Nathan? If someone said to you, you know, just just pull yourself together. You know, and, and it could be that for the for a moment you, you may be able to accomplish that. But I think, again, this idea of relapse is not failure. You're facing yourself again and again in different situations. But isn't, but isn't that what Mordecai is saying to Esther? Pull yourself together. You have no choice but to do this. And, and thank God she decides on the spur of the moment she's going to listen. Yeah. Well, you know, because I spent so much time in, with Esther the past few years, maybe I frame it a little bit differently. I think that Mordecai is very clever, and he throws a number of different types of arguments at Esther, you know, the argument of uncertainty, right? Who knows if you haven't been, you know, actually born to this position, so to speak, right. and then giving her the sense of what this means for your family, is even though she's an orphan, she doesn't have parents to sully the reputation of the family. She's also a member of Saul's family, and Saul faced this this demon, and he didn't he didn't get rid of Amalek. He didn't get rid of Agag. And so now there's the chance for her to revisit history and to redeem it. So for us, I think there's two words, I guess two R words that we're 
that we're thinking about this season. One is relapse and one is redeem. And we stand somewhere in between them. As Maimonides sort of positions the scale, imagine that everything that you're doing can either be an act of virtue or can be an act of sin. Mm -hmm. And so with some kind of precise measurement, we're looking at ourselves and saying, who am I? One of the things that I I, I was thinking about when I was was, uh, studying the Rambam this week is, um, you know, we count steps and we count calories and we're in love with big data, but we don't necessarily count virtues and vices and says, like, what did I do that really redeemed the world today? And what did I do that was a relapse and I can do it better tomorrow? And that kind of accuracy and precision, while it can be, uh, it can be crippling in the extreme, may make us a little bit more aware of how we interact with the world around us. Mm, interesting. Dr. Erica Brown is with us. You can go to ericabrown.com. The Book of Jonah, The Reluctant Prophet, is a um, is a is part of the Magid series, Magid Studies in Tanakh Stone Edition series, and you could check that out at Magid Books online. Um, so it's interesting. We go into this holiday, and there are a lot of people who like to emphasize that when we gather together on Monday as a Jewish nation, it really is not about the personal. It's more about the you know the recognition of God, uh, proclaiming Him King. Uh, we know it's Judgment Day, Yom Hadin, but there are commentaries, commentators who like to veer away from that and remind everybody that's more of a communal uh, gathering, the 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 uh, service on Rosh Hashanah. And then, as I said, you get to Yom Kippur, and you know, building up through the Aseret Yemei you get to Yom Kippur, and we have this impression that it is uh, as personal a day as possible. In fact, and I once asked Shlomo, you may appreciate this. I once asked Shlomo Kalbach. Uh, innocently, literally, the uh, the uh, the uh, the Yamim Naraim season before he passed away, he passed away in Cheshvan, and I said to him, "What does it mean that the gates of heaven are closing?" You know, as we have the Neila prayer. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he said, "After all of this, after Elul, after Slichus, after Rosh Hashanah, after Aseres Beitshuva, after a couple of fast days, after dedicating ourselves physically for twenty-five hours to no washing and no eating, etc., etc., after all of this commitment to God." Um, it, it comes time for the end of the holiday, and God says, "Come, come inside. Let's close the door behind us and have a private conversation." <laughs> now, it's beautiful. Now that yeah, it is beautiful, beautiful. and it might be what some people would call, you know, a Hasidic way of looking at things. But again, it is such a it, it is such a personal experience, and yet on a day of such a personal experience, the role of Jewish leadership and the role of community, and how important. You know that element is is not lost on anybody, and I just no, and yeah, and, and the image of a gate is so powerful, right? You open up yeah. the Talmud, and in the Vilna edition, is that there's that that's that image of the gate, and the word and, the, thinking, and the word to lock it, Noel, you right, know. right, right. You know, and and when you think about being on the threshold of a door, a door is just a door, as Adrian Rich says in her poem. You know, are you going to step through that door, or are you going to ignore that door? Because when you go through that door, you're not going to be the same. And so I think, you know, I think of that moment right before Cain kills Hevel, before Cain kills Abel, where God says, sin is crouching at your door, but you can control it. In other words, we know the persistence of wrongdoing. We know that the possibility of transgression is right there at the threshold. But we can close that door. And I think there's, the image of the door is really important. Not that every gate is shutting. But there's a certain sense of, of, of uh, urgency as we're getting to Meila, where God says, you know, I want you to think about what you actually are going to commit to, right. as opposed to just walking around. What are you stepping over in this threshold? 
as something that you're going to do or change or modify that you haven't before. Oh, what a great way. What door will you open and what door will you walk through? That's a great one. Yeah, and I I just want to share one observation, if you don't mind. Please. Last last year I had the tremendous put the privilege of speaking in Pittsburgh after the um, uh, the occasion of the Shloshim. And I just want to tell you one little story about that and and how that concludes. Sure. Um, my, my, I had to be there at 7.30 for the event. I was absolutely committed to being there, and my heart was, was broken, and uh, my flight was canceled. And um, my flight was canceled, and as we were waiting around before the flight was canceled uh, to see if there'd be a new flight, a person who was waiting from, with me for those few hours said to me, um, where are you, you know, what are you doing in Pittsburgh? And we were talking, he was a business person going about his business. And I explained to him actually what I was doing, trying to bring in some way comfort in an impossible situation through an act of study together. And, um, when they announced the new plane, he ran upstairs and he got a ticket and he said, I want to give this to you because what you're doing is so much more important than what I'm doing. And as it happens, I really got there at exactly 7:30 and was able to speak and they asked me to come back, and uh, I went back this Sunday. And um, and uh, before I spoke, someone received a, a couple received a service award, and the the husband stood up and he gave everyone this beautiful blessing for the year. You know, the, with some of the usuals, right? The blessing for health, the blessing for happiness, um, and then he said, "May this be a year of consequence." And it struck me so deeply, and perhaps that's a good transition between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That on Yom Kippur, we're thinking a lot about sin, but on, on Rosh Hashanah, as we coronate the king, as we think about God as, as melech, as judge at the beginning of the world, we think about the consequences of what it means to do something that's consequential. I think all of us understand uh, in Israel and the United States that politically there are a lot of consequences right now, that, that it will be a consequential year ahead, not exactly sure where we'll be standing Nahum, a year from now. And at the same time, thinking about consequence is something that perhaps we can create. How do we create in the year ahead this Rosh Hashanah and understanding that this year may be a year of consequence for us? It's going to be the year when we're going to make something happen, or perhaps it's going to be the year when we're going to stop something. Um, and And that possibility is actually very terrifying, and it's also very exhilarating. Wow. By the way, that airport story is chilling. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was, and actually, I shared it because I had I thought so much about it, um, and and when it happened, as it happened, both of us did make it on the plane. There were four seats, and the two of us got on the plane. But that um, that that willingness um, to to give to give a ticket just to say it was just a kind of chesed that yep. I think happens when you're in the face of a tragedy. No question about that. By the way, I always joked with Rabbi Weinrib when he was writing about Kinnis how it was Tisha B'Av for him all year round. At least you get to have pur- <laughs> at least you get to have Purim all year round, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Without the drinking, though, without the drinking. But remember, relapse is not failure. Nothing. <laughs> oh, that's a great message. Let me tell you. And by the way, my mother was named for Esther Hamalka. Oh, uh, on her, on her tombstone it says. Um, uh, that's what it says on her. Oh, that's so beautiful. So I, can, her memory, I, so, her so I cannot wait to discuss the book with you come spring, I'll tell you that much. Good. I'm looking forward to that conversation, as I always look forward to conversations with you now. I appreciate that. Shana Tava Matukat to you, and thank you so much for joining us. May it be a year of health, happiness, and consequence for <laughs> us all. Amen to that. Dr. Erica Brown. 
Check out her website, ericabrown.com. Check out her book on Jonah, the Reluctant Prophet, Magid Books release, and of course, many other books. You have the whole list there at either of those uh, websites. Two minutes before 8 o'clock, this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. <laughs> 